0: Father God, we do just want to commit this to you. That our being here, uh, our being together, our desires for for worship, all of that is out of a desire to know you more. You've said that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us, and we ask for that this morning. uh, That we'd be able to know the joy of being in your presence, and that in doing so, we might be able to glorify you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was at a conference one time. It was a a pastor's conference. So there were a lot of people there. It was in Southern California, a big audience. And there was a well-known pastor uh, speaking. And this pastor came to the group and he brought forward a verse from Acts. And it was a simple verse, but it uh, it said this. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. It said... Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Uh, Acts 13:36, that when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. And off of that one verse, this, this uh, speaker spent the rest of his time saying that uh, it was his favorite verse in the whole Bible, um, this simple verse. And he said, my, life, uh, my life's calling is that I'd be able to get to a place someday where others spoke of me and said that I served God's purposes in my generation and then I died. Um, it was kind of a humorous way of him saying he wanted to live his life for the glory of God, wanted to serve God's purposes and then die. I uh, hadn't thought of that verse or reflected on that Uh, that talk for over a decade until this week I was looking in Acts chapter 8 at the text for this morning in the Bible in a year series. And I began to realize that Philip, the evangelist, uh, Philip, who we read about in Acts chapter 8, that his life is almost identical To this verse on David, so Philip was one of the seven deacons chosen by the disciples. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he was a Greek Christian, and he uh, he came to be called the evangelist. Uh, And so, if we want to see where Philip shows up in Scripture, here's a simple little diagram, um, but it's kind of a sandwich. Um, In Acts five six chapter uh, Acts chapter six verse five. Philip shows up as one of the the seven people being chosen uh, to be uh, the first deacons, if you will, deacons or deaconesses. Uh, Then we get to chapter eight. Uh, Chapter seven is Stephen, if you remember, and Stephen's martyrdom. We get to chapter eight and there's a whole lengthy engagement that involves Philip taking the gospel and being an evangelist. And then he disappears all the way till Acts chapter 21 and shows up one more time. We can put that on the screen. And this is the last we hear of Philip. It says, we continue, that's, that's Luke and Paul and, and their entourage, continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Verse 8 is uh, that when they left the next day, they reached Caesarea, And stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist. Caesarea, by the way, is the capital city. It's it's on the coast. Um, And they reach the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. And then we're told simply that Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So two things that I I got from this. One was maybe I'm a lot like Philip and I have four unmarried daughters with strong opinions. Um, But But if we go back to that sandwich diagram, it's it's a really interesting thing that the the whole of Scripture brings in a figure uh, that comes to the surface because he's full of the the Holy Spirit and wants to be responsible and engaged in the church. And then we see how that individual is ministering and accomplishing um, the, the purposes of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we basically come to a place where that person is, is seen in Christian community and then we don't take any, any more account of them in the biblical text. That Philip served God's purposes in his generation and died, just like King David served God's purposes in his generation and died. So when we look at Philip and we look at this passage, there's two things that I think we, we can take from it, uh, two things that are going on here. And the first one is that Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, uh, is showing his readers that it is ordinary leaders like them, not superstars, who God uses to accomplish His purposes. The second thing is that the difficult circumstances of life were often used by God as the vehicle for accomplishing His purpose of spreading the good news Of Jesus or spreading the gospel. So the first one, just talking about the ordinary people, uh, ordinary people like Stephen and Philip. Uh, If we look at Acts 1-8, this is kind of the theme, uh, the central theme of all of the book of Acts. It's uh, it's the main thesis for what what Luke is going to write all the way through or show us all the way through the end of the book. And it's a command from Jesus before he ascends and goes to heaven. And he says to his apostles and the followers uh, that are in front of him, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Uh, And the Holy Spirit having the power that really moves God's purposes forward is a theme all the way through the book of Acts. But the Holy Spirit is going to come on you in power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria And to the ends of the earth. And if we leave that verse there for just a minute, uh, that verse has four geographic names, but it's really three geographical spheres. So Jerusalem is at the center and Judea right next to it. And uh, both of them are are synonymous with where the religious uh, or the the devout followers are. Um, uh, of Yahweh would be where the early Christians were. Samaria is also just to the side. So it's the same as Judea, one layer removed. But Judea is where you have an affinity, where people think like you, where you know people, where you understand the culture. Samaria is just next to you, but you do not have an affinity. You don't necessarily know the people. You, You don't Um, have the same cultural norms, and there might even be tension there. So Jerusalem at the center, then uh, right beyond that, the sphere for us might be the Northwest. So greater Portland is kind of home, then the Northwest, both people that are like us or think like us or believe like us, and those that don't think like us, don't believe like us, And then the ends of the earth, which is everything that's kind of beyond what's close to us, uh, all of the nations. So all through scripture, from the beginning to the end, we see that God has this plan that Jesus is gonna come and be a light to the nations, that he always wanted to reach all of creation. So we have these three spheres. And the interesting thing is in Acts 7, Stephen preaches to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, He preaches to them and the people that have traveled to Jerusalem from Judea. So you see the gospel being preached to Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, Then Stephen is killed. He's stoned and watching that is a young man named Saul and we're gonna skip a chapter and then the rest of the book of Acts is talking about the apostle Paul. Uh, But we go from Stephen reaching Jerusalem and Judea to Philip in chapter eight, reaching Samaria and then talking to an Ethiopian eunuch and by by proxy of of a leader of North Africa reaching the ends of the earth. Does that make sense? Luke is showing us how Stephen and Philip are used to get the gospel underway. Why is that significant? Um, If we can, let's turn to uh, the diagram of of, uh, the Greek names that I showed you two weeks ago. When the seven leaders are chosen, uh, remember there is a Greek speaking group of believers and they are immigrants to Jerusalem. They are foreigners to that area and they don't speak the common language. So out of that group, there are leaders chosen to represent them and the highlighted names are those seven people. And the first two names are Stephen and Philip because that's who uh, Luke is going to talk about next. So he puts them at the front and I've highlighted their names in blue. But the interesting thing is those are Greek names, Stephanos and Philippos. Uh, Philip is the name of Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon. It's a Greek name. This is a Greek individual. These are Greek leaders. It's fascinating that the first that the martyrdom of Stephen even happens in the way it does. Why? Um, because you don't see in the New Testament anyone being stoned. They thought about stoning Jesus. They, they thought about stoning Paul, I'm sorry, John and Peter, Peter and John, but they never did because there was a Roman law that you couldn't stone somebody. The Romans thought if, if there was a mob that got Into the position where they were doing that, that it would threaten the stability for the Roman Empire. So the Romans reserved the right uh, to um, put the death penalty forward. But yet, Stephen gets stoned. It's a Greek speaking leader with non Greek speaking um, religious people that incites them to to mob violence. It's somebody that represents the other. And so they're able to to reach that place where they execute or kill or martyr Stephen. Um, And through that, you end up with a a persecution that breaks out against the other Greek-speaking believers. Um, If we turn to uh, Acts 8.1, we'll read this that Saul approved of their killing. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So there's mob violence. And when they kill Stephen, it doesn't just go away. But like with most mob violence, it begins to spread. And as it's spreading, it affects the other people that are in the city. And so they flee to the outlying areas um, and with them, they take the gospel. So what we see is, is that God is doing something that none of the, the leaders would have thought when Jesus talked about the Great Commission. He's not using the apostles, not using those at the center to take it all the way out. He's using the ordinary leaders, the ones that speak the language, the, the ones that have the relationship, um, people like you and I to reach the people that we know. So there's a diagram that that'll show this, what Luke is doing here in terms of a theological statement. It's not Jesus and then the apostles and then taking the gospel to the nations. It's Jesus and the apostles together with the other people and the other leaders as the followers of Jesus that then take the gospel to the nations. It's a powerful, powerful statement that you wouldn't miss if you're one of those people that's hearing Luke's message, that the people who are going to reach the world are the people that think and talk like them, that God uses to initiate this, this global expansion. Hear me now. God uses people to reach people. That means that God can use you and me to reach people. Who do you know? Who can you reach? Who are the people that speak like you? Who are the people that think like you? Who are the people that you understand the cultural norms and that God could actually take and use you like Stephen, like Philip to accomplish his purposes? Uh, I I don't know why we don't talk more about the gift of evangelism um, or of gifts in general, but in this passage, we're seeing that, that God is gonna do something in a way that we don't think it's gonna happen. It's not built on the old hierarchies. Jesus is not using an exclusive system. Jesus brings about a kingdom where the first, won't, uh, the first will not be first, but where the last will be first. Whoever is the least or the last in this room right now, according to Jesus, is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Whoever in this room is the last, in Jesus' words, is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. That just puts all of us in a place where we should be thinking that we can be used or should be being used by God. Jesus said in Luke 9, 48, for it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Um, I was reflecting on this sermon this week and it reminded me of something we get wrong in the church. We, we talk about spiritual gifts in a wrong way. Uh, the way we talk about it is, is often like this. You, you become a Christian and you get a spiritual gift and it's paired with you and then, and then that's it. Um, you get it then and that's the only gift you ever have and, it, and it's only one gift. It's, it's kind of the way we think about it. And I think it's completely wrong. I think when we um, get saved and God grants us the Holy Spirit, What God is saying is, if you have eyes to see, if you can imagine or dream how you could be used to serve my purposes, then pray and let the Holy Spirit come alongside you so that in your obedience, the power and the presence of God would go with you. And that when the power and the presence of God is coupled with you, that is a spiritual gifting, meaning the outcome is going to be greater than the input. Whatever you do in your human strength, the the fruit from that is going to be far greater than what you could have imagined. And the difference, the amplification, is going to be what God is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing through you. That's what spiritual gifts are. So why don't we pray for them? If we're going to pray for spiritual gifts, why not pray for more than one? Why not take the situation that we're in and say, God, in this situation, if you gave me a spirit of boldness or of meekness, if you help me endure trial, if you help me have the gift of tenderness or kindness, if you would just help give me wisdom in this season, I would love to serve your purposes so that the gospel could be carried forward in the greater Portland area, in the northwest and to the ends of the earth. So I was um, really convicted. Uh, once upon a time used to tell people I had the gift of evangelism, but I don't feel like I've been use, uh, using that gift or, or acting as an evangelist for quite some time. And I started thinking in, in light of this passage, in light of the people that are going to get baptized today, in light of Pastor Mauricio, I started thinking, why would I not be praying for the gift of evangelism? Why wouldn't a bunch of us maybe use this season coming up to Easter that, that we would set ourselves apart and say, God, would you give me the eyes to see those that are ready to hear? Would you give me the wisdom to speak in a way that they could understand? Would you give me a heart for them that doesn't walk past them but sees what's going on deep inside? Would you find friends for me where we could come together and encourage one another as we collectively try to reach and try to love and try and show that there really is a hope in Jesus Christ? So I don't know what gifts you possess, um, but I think you could have more. I don't think God's going to get mad at you for asking for more. I don't even think God's going to get mad at you for asking for something incredibly extravagant if it's to be used for His glory. To him who has, more will be given. Um, And when we're talking about to him who has, more will be given, we're talking about faith. Those who are rich in faith are only going to have their faith grown and multiplied. So may we be like Philip, that we would serve God's purposes in our generation and then die. That's the first thing. The second thing is just the persecution. Um, The persecution. We already read Acts 8.1 that that this persecution breaks out. And so the the immigrant church in Jerusalem is scattered. I was taught this passage wrongly um, as I was growing up. Um, Acts 8.1. I was taught that the church was persecuted, so everybody scattered. Uh, the truth is that it says in Acts 8.1 that uh, a persecution came and everyone was scattered except for the apostles, meaning the Jewish believers. Um, the Hebraic or, or Aramaic speaking believers. Later on, when we get to Acts 15, Paul has a church in Antioch where you have uh, Jews and Gentiles. And in this church, they come together as a multicultural church. Um, By the way, somebody just sent around to the the church leadership a blog from an expert uh, on the church in North America. And this blog was numbering uh, the, the number of churches that are doing what we do here, trying to be multi-generational, uh, multilingual, multicultural. And they listed only 20 churches with Village as the top one on the list. What we do here is, is incredibly unique, but it looks like the New Testament. You had Jews and Gentiles at the Church of Antioch. And some people came and said that the Gentiles needed to assimilate And that it would only be one culture. And Paul preached against this. And he said, no, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. So he talked about there is multi-ethnic dimension of the church. There is a, uh, a dimension of socioeconomic equality and gender equality. In all of this, we are one church. And so we see that the interesting thing here in Acts 8-1 is is that the church was dealing with the same things in that day that we are today, Um, that we segregate ourselves, that the church in America doesn't come together and truly try to embrace what it means to be a multi-ethnic church, that one part would remain, another part would go. Uh, When the letter comes back in Acts 15, it comes back to the disciples who were still in Jerusalem. They never had to leave when the persecution came. The persecution came against the immigrant church of Jerusalem. So what does this teach us about suffering? It teaches us that God is using in a unique, unique way those that suffer amongst us that those who are last truly will be first, that our sufferings may be different than we think they are. It's been said that God never wastes a hurt, that he uses our trials in some way or can redeem our trials or our struggles in some way to advance the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, this is how Paul puts it. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God uses ordinary people, God uses people like you and me, God uses our difficult circumstances as a vehicle to carry the gospel. Would that possibly change how we pray? that Philip, who left Jerusalem because of persecution, was looking for where the Holy Spirit would create opportunities for him to share the gospel. Would we look at our stress or our pain, both as something we're taking to God because we need spiritual comfort, but also with the eyes of faith that says, through this, may I have joy despite my trials because I know somehow in this, you might be able to bring yourself glory and advance the good news of Jesus Christ. So we are a long way from where we began in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we be- begin in the temple and then we move out. And then now we are on the road where Philip is preaching to an Ethiopian eunuch. He says to that Ethiopian eunuch, this is what the gospel means. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, here is water. Why should I not be baptized? And that's what we get to do next. I want to see if Pastora Aleda will come up and and translate the conclusion with me, and then host as we move into celebrating the baptisms. Amen, pastor. But it's simply that the real business of faith
1: es que el, el negocio, eh, de la fe
0: isn't the center of the religious complex.
1: El, no es el centro del, del, de la religión.
0: But it is where believers follow the Spirit.
1: Pero es donde los creyentes siguen al Espíritu Santo.
0: Into encounters centered around the good news of Jesus.
1: Para poderse encontrar en el centro de las buenas nuevas de Jesucristo.
0: It's the gospel.
1: Es el evangelio.
0: It's always by the Holy Spirit. Es
1: siempre a través del Espíritu Santo.
0: God uses ordinary people like you and me que to Dios accomplish utiliz- His purposes. Que
1: Dios utiliza personas ordinarias como tú y yo para cumplir sus propósitos.
0: The undefended,
1: el indefenso,
0: the forgotten,
1: el que ha sido olvidado,
0: those enduring intense stress,
1: esos que están atravesando eh, situaciones difíciles de estrés,
0: the persecuted,
1: el que es perseguido,
0: the introverted, el introvertido <laughs> como yo, ordinary people can change the world,
1: ordinarias personas como usted y yo podemos cambiar el mundo,
0: village can change the world,
1: village puede cambiar el mundo.
0: The the Spirit is leading.
1: El Espíritu Santo nos está guiando.
0: May we pray for gifting.
1: Oremos por, por esos dones.
0: God uses you. Que Dios se utilice a ti. God uses your circumstances. Que
1: utilice tus circunstancias.
0: God even uses your trials. Aún que utilice tus, tus pruebas. God uses us for the purposes of the gospel. Que
1: nos utilice a nosotros para los propósitos del evangelio.
0: And like the story with Philip. Y así como la historia de Felipe. What better way to conclude?
1: Qué mejor forma de concluir
0: que con los bautismos? Here is water. What I, is to preclude me or es, for us to get him baptized?
1: I'm just I'm, I'm so used to Mauricio yeah. pastor oh, so. he's
0: so much better than I am at this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I get
0: passionate.
1: Yeah. I think it's just I'm sorry. But he needs to come up too. Él tiene que
0: amen amen amen,
1: amen.